EM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we like to make board studying a little bit more enjoyable. I am Iltafat Hussein, joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. For each 10 to 15 minute episode, we throw out high yield board knowledge. We like to say come for the stems, but stay for the content. Sign up on our website, emboardbombs.com. Uh, you'll see a lot of uh, handouts that we have there. Uh, we, you also have the ability to get onto our newsletter um, and sign up um, on our website there. Our Twitter handle is at emboardbombs. Uh, feel free to uh, send us tweets um, and also send us uh, question um, preferences or any questions that uh, you'd like us to start tackling or topics you'd like us to tackle. Hey, Dr. Briggs, are you ready to get this thing started? I uh, just sipped some uh, apple cider and about to have some eggnog and yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping into the holiday spirit. A 57-year-old male presents to the ER in December via EMS and the patient's subtunded and he's unresponsive. You don't know any history, but EMS asked you to check his Instagram and Instagram in general because he had a trending hashtag, apparently. <laughs> um, before he passed out, they heard from passersby that he kept yelling out, in quotes, just made the dopest boomerang, end quote. <laughs> Turns out that the patient was found staggering around downtown and he was yelling to passersby he sees snow everywhere. Seemed like he might be having some vision issues. Bystanders apparently made an Instagram post of him making an Instagram post <laughs> and put a holiday sparkle filter uh, that read hashtag catching the Christmas spirit. Was it actually snowing, though? Uh, apparently it was not snowing. Okay, good. Important point. Snowing. So he wasn't, he, yeah, he was lying. Okay. We've already given it away. If you're Sherlock Holmes, you already know the answer. <laughs> yeah. One bystander was a physician that actually decided to help. Uh, the patient uh, is noted to have tremors on initial exam and also noted to be borderline hypotensive, but the patient is not cold. Which of the following is correct? A, initially, there's a raised osmolar gap followed by anion gap elevation. B, the presence of calcium oxalate stones is specific for ethylene glycol poisoning. C, Hemodialysis is ineffective at removing methanol. D. Activated charcoal has a role if used in the initial presentation. Hey, Dr. Briggs, what's the right answer? Correct answer here is actually going to be A. Initially, there is a raised osmolar gap associated with these type of toxic alcohol ingestions, and it's followed by an anion gap. You're probably wondering, how would you even make that jump of a case discussion? Well, that's what we're here for. We're going to talk about it. Let's talk about methanol and ethylene glycol. Um, this is what this guy had. It's a classic presentation. As Dr. Hussein said, Sherlock Holmes uh, would recognize this. Um, the classic presentation of methanol poisoning is going to be what this guy had. The snowstorm vision is what they call it, or seeing snow everywhere. And obviously he's in the unfortunate social situation and vignette of having the type of methanol ingestion. So where is methanol and ethylene glycol found? Um, this stuff's pretty low yield. Just know it's usually toxic stuff in terms of industrial chemicals, antifreeze, windshield wiper fluid, other automotive fluids, jet cleaner, things like that. And of course, moonshine is going to be methanol. Uh, but both of those can be found in industrial fluids. And I wouldn't really try to distinguish between the two. They both can be found in those. 
um, the parent alcohols are actually not toxic. So methanol and ethylene glycol themselves are actually pretty harmless. Um, the problem is, is that their metabolites are extremely harmful. We'll talk about why that is in a minute. Yeah, this is actually very high yield for boards. Um, and I want to preface that because you're going to think we're going to go down the rabbit hole in a minute talking about formic acid and glycolic acid. I'm seriously just saying that because I have legitimately myself seen those questions on board prep books and websites. Like they legitimately ask these questions saying, what does this break down into? Why is it toxic? What does it do to your body? So that's why we're talking about this today because it actually yeah, is going I, to be on the boards. Yeah, that, and it's honestly... It's not pleasant to memorize. It really isn't. <laughs> it really isn't. It tastes like and, antifreeze. Uh, it really does. It tastes like antifreeze. Maybe that'll help you remember it. You know, mm -hmm. but um, it certainly will give you the key things to look out for, key interventions as you do. Uh, but unfortunately, as uh, Dr. Briggs is mentioning, there's some really just silly words you just have to remember here. And by silly words, I mean let's take it back to chemistry and OCHEM. Oh God. So methanol. Methanol uh, will break down intermediate-wise and form uh, formic acid, formic acid. And methanol is going to lead to retinal injury and irreversible blindness. This is what we talked about earlier. This is the snowstorm vision. Ethylene glycol. Ethylene glycol, this is actually a little bit easier because the part of ethylene glycol, so glycol, is going to be the breakdown product. And uh, it's going to form glycolic acid and glyoxylic acid. Both of those will lead to rapid kidney failure and a metabolic acidosis. You're also going to get hypocalcemia with QT prolongation. Those are the two main things in ethylene glycol. So the early intoxication for these toxic alcohols, these are really tough to diagnose. These pictures are the same as ethanol poisoning. They're going to be sedated. They're going to be uptunded. They're going to be inebriated. However, they can quickly progress to late toxicity, meaning that their labs are going to just look funky in a, like within an hour or two. And so I want to take a pause here just to quickly go through one last thing of memorizing. And uh, we're going to have a little uh, theme here. It's called nerd time. So it's time for nerd time. Just picture Dr. Hussein and I sitting in our room right now with a fireplace lit. We're smoking pipes and we're talking about medicine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Classic 1920s. Actually, I think that's only like 15 years ago where that stopped. <laughs> So there's also a bust of Hippocrates, like, like on the other side of the room. It's like marble bust. Yeah. Yeah. So nerd time. Remember this thing we learned out of medical school when we had parent alcohol compounds, and then there was that enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase. Remember that whole thing we learned about was zero order kinetics. Well, guess what? That's all you have to know. That's all you have to know. My side. That's all you have to know. Yes, it did. So parent alcohols are broken down by alcohol dehydrogenase. Again, we're only telling you this because it's on the boards. And then it's going to form these toxic compounds. And so you have to remember that alcohol dehydrogenase because that's going to come up later when we talk about the antidotes you can give these people. So let's talk about, you know, workup of these patients. Uh, we'll start with the history. Dr. Sane, how useful do you think a history would be on these patients? Uh, so it depends on what you're talking about, Briggs. Uh, interviewing the patient, not so much. That's going to be about zero. However, <laughs> the contextual way that they arrived to your ER, yeah, that might actually be useful, as we showed in this stem. That stem did have a purpose, by the way. The contextual history can be very critical here. All right. Awesome. That's very helpful. Yeah. So Dr. Hussain, of course, is implying EMS, you know, like family and friends, anyone that's there. Obviously, the most difficult and unfortunately the most common uh, affected by these toxic alcohols would be homeless um, patients or patients with um, 
that are unfortunately of low uh, socioeconomic status. Um, that makes it very difficult because unfortunately they will not have those family members. So you're really going to rely on EMS here, um, and that uh, they're very critical. So physical exam also very difficult on the patients. You can uncover subtle findings here, and these are board relevant things that may not come up in real life. The afferent pupillary defect, that is an ominous finding for methanol poisoning. One of the other ominous findings you could have here uh, is gonna be tetany. Do you think tetany would be at methanol or ethylene glycol, Dr. Hussain, and why? So it would be the ethylene glycol, and we talked about one of the key differences was the QT prolongation and also the hypocalcemia, correct? Perfect, perfect, I love it. So these patients, you know, they present uptunded, they can present with coma, seizures, hypotension. They're all extremely concerning. If ethanol is co-ingested with these people, which sometimes it often is, the presentation will be much more delayed, which is extremely concerning. It makes it even more difficult to diagnose. So what's the workup? Any altered patient that comes in should have a glucose done. So you're going to get a finger stick glucose. They absolutely need a serum osmolality, as well as a serum anion gap. The serum, oh my god, my Siri just turned on. <laughs> I heard that. Please don't cut that out. Oh god, that's Please hilarious. That because... <laughs> Serum osmolality. Oh, she didn't do it this time. So they absolutely need a serum osmolality and a serum anion gap. Um, and that's we're going to get to that in a second. Just keep that in mind. You need those two things if you're suspecting toxic alcohol ingestion. Co-ingestion labs, of course. You know, the natural kind of workup here. Acetaminophen, salicylates, an EKG for, you know, QT prolongation, right? As well as a QRS prolongation if you're concerned about TCAs. And then, of course, the, you know, people are asking probably, hey, can't we just measure directly ethylene? glycol and methanol levels. Well, many reasons why these don't help. Like most things in the ED, one, these are send outs. So they're going to be zero help in an emergent patient. And then two, remember we talked about, it's not so much the ethylene glycol and the methanol levels, it's their toxic compounds that are dangerous, not so much the parent compounds. So let's talk about a little bit further here, these osmolality and serum anion gap. Here's the things you need to know, just the basics here. Um, an osmolal gap greater than 10 or an anion gap that's elevated. That suggests toxic alcohol ingestion. One more time. Osmolar gap greater than 10, which is abnormal, or an anion gap that's elevated strongly suggests a toxic alcohol ingestion. If you have and on the boards, okay. on the board, that gap is going to be not like 12 or 13. It's going to be it's massive. Going to be pretty dramatic. Yes. It's going to make it very dramatic. Very dramatic. Even all the references we've cited here um, and kind of used to prepare this uh, podcast today, based on all the research we've done, I mean, usually they do present with a supremely high anion gap. The problem is, is that anion gap occurs a little later. Think, whenever we just said, it takes time for this metabolic acidosis to set in because the parent compounds are not toxic, but the osmolar gap will be elevated early on. And that was the correct answer. Choice A said that initially there was a raised osmolar gap followed by a subsequent elevated anion gap. Makes perfect sense, right? And that's because these parent compounds enter the bloodstream initially, and they cause a shift in the serum osmolality. That's very initial, like in the first few hours. And then as they're broken down into their toxic compounds, they then jump up the anion gap into a metabolic acidosis. Does that make sense, Dr. Hussain? It does, it does. And just to remind people real quick, when you are measuring their osmolar gap, like what are, what are you, how are you doing that? Uh, MDCalc.com. <laughs> You got it. And so just remember, you need to know your sodium. It's a crazy B1, equation. Right? BMP. So short of it is uh, BMP and your ethanol, right? So. Right. Yeah, you're going to get your BMP also for renal function. Remember, because we said that the uh, 
ethylene glycol can definitely cause um, renal failure. So you definitely want a baseline creatinine very early on and see what if there's an initial damage or if it looks good, and then you have to get a repeat BMP later. And then as Dr. Hussain said, serum ethanol is important because you want to see whether or not that ethanol was ingested or not. It really helps you determine whether or not these patients are going to um, uh, crap out early, basically, with their metabolic acidosis. Very few conditions in the world cause comatose patients to come in with a supremely high, large metabolic anion gap acidosis in this setting of like inebriation. So in general, catchphrase here, Dr. Hussain loves these like simplified approaches, and I do too, for boards. If you got any patient that comes to the ED on a board test question, and he looks inebriated in the test question, if he has a large metabolic anion gap acidosis, it is a toxic alcohol ingestion until proven otherwise. So the pitfall, yeah. the pitfall of laboratory studies here, the osmolar gap doesn't tell you if it's, um, if it's methanol, ethanol, ethylene glycol. It just tells you that you ingested a crap ton of alcohol, and it can't really tell you the difference between all three. The osmolar gap can only detect parent compounds, which is what we said, right? We said that was only used in the early presentation. So if you get a guy been, you know, inebriated, it seems like by bystanders for several hours, and now you get him and you do an osmolar gap and it's normal, don't just dismiss toxic metabolic acidosis, right? You need to get that anion gap to double check. Remember that whole thing you learned about in med school about calcium oxalate stones in ethylene glycol? At least I do. I remember those. Those don't help at all. So don't remember, don't even worry about that on boards. If they ever give you an answer choice suggesting you can diagnose ethylene glycol poisoning with calcium oxalate, they're, they're purposely leading you astray. Just by seeing calcium oxalate stones does not at all suggest ethylene glycol. It's just associated with it. Um, so do not pick that answer saying you can diagnose ethylene glycol poisoning due to those stones. So let's wrap this up here with a quick order of emergent intervention. And we're going to wrap it all into one nice little burrito. All right. Order of emergent interventions. Might get tacos, actually. Or it's stir Friday. It's actually stir Friday. Oh, man. You would know this. I would. I would. ABCs. They're easy as one, two, three. So ABCs need to be... <laughs> monitored closely so these people come in comatose this is like the worst you know inebriated patient you're going to see they're going to be extremely sick they're likely going to need dialysis we'll get to that in a minute intubation is likely so keep that in mind call poison control you know people forget this step a lot but poison control is such a valuable resource you need to call them ahead of time and uh, because you're not going to remember all these crazy numbers when to get anion gaps things like that so let's talk about intervention now bicarbonate Bicarbonate here is actually going to be helpful. We're not treating a number with bicarbonate this time, like in a lot of other things we do. We abuse bicarbonate a lot, I think, in medicine. In this case, it's extremely helpful. Bicarbonate is needed to help reverse this metabolic acidosis. And by doing so, when you change that pH, you're going to prevent these toxic metabolites from entering cells. Because if you switch the pH, they're not going to be able to diffuse across this um, capillary barrier and go into cells and cause toxicity. So bicarbonate, extremely helpful if they have any sign of metabolic acidosis. The next step, give an antidote. The antidote is going to be either, remember this from med school, famepazil or ethanol, but you don't give both. If the boards ask you to pick between the two, this will be a tough question. You pick famepazil. It's shown to be better, and it's easier yep. to titrate. You should always give famepazil. It's much more expensive, but it is easier to dose and safer. You should be giving famepazil as your antidote, and it works on both methanol and ethylene glycol. So the whole point of giving famepazole and ethanol, those inhibit, remember back from nerd time we did, those inhibit um, alcohol dehydrogenase and basically prevent those um, metabolites from methanol and ethylene glycol poisoning from being developed. That's the whole point. You're basically halting the 
breakdown of the parent compounds from these toxic alcohols to their metabolites. So you're basically allowing the body to excrete the parent compounds as they are. Next, you should give cofactors. You should be giving folic acid, thymine, and pyridoxine. This stuff actually has clear indications for being cofactors for the reversal of ethylene glycol and breakdown to benign metabolites, as well as methanol. So you should 100% be giving folic acid to reverse um, methanol, metabolic poisoning, as well as thymine and B6, pyridoxine, for ethylene glycol poisoning. The last thing on the list here is where everybody's mind going probably is, hey, these patients are so sick, the antidote only helps a little bit. What do I do about hemodialysis? Hemodialysis is definitely indicated in a lot of you know, conditions here. I'm going to simplify it really easily for you. When do you do hemodialysis? Pretty much any time you have a metabolic acidosis. That's never going to be the wrong answer. So if you have a patient coming in and the answer choices on your list are hemodialysis and fomepazole, they're never going to give you both of those. Absolutely not. Um, they're going to tell you to give fomepazole first, and in the meantime, as you're waiting for dialysis to set up. So let's keep it simple. Hemodialysis, if you have any metabolic acidosis, you can go ahead and set up for that. Um, the more specific indications, if you have any methanol poisoning, you have to do hemodialysis. Um, methanol doesn't clear with the antidote as well. All let's right. take it out. Let's take, take it, it out. out. Your turn. Too. All right. So uh, we appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EM Board Bombs. Go to the website, emboardbombs.com. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Anyways, we appreciate our listeners listening, and uh, we'll be back next time. Thanks, See you next guys. time.